the minute you're able to articulate a brand in a way that they never imagined but knew was always there is a special moment. And that's why I love working and having a brand design studio is because we're wearing so many different hats. We're learning about so many different categories and industries the whole time. It's so interesting. We cannot wait to wake up, get to work and start doing it because every day is different. Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding. And you're listening to DSR Branding Presents. Join me as I interview brilliant business leaders on branding, marketing, design, and good business principles. These are people who think differently and have commercialized their creativity to do something remarkable. This episode is on creating identities and experiences that connect people with Craig Parsons. Craig is the co-founder and chief creative officer of Parsons, a brand design studio with offices in South Africa and Ireland. Founded in 2009, Parsons work with businesses across the globe on identities, campaigns, packaging and more. Craig shares his story, how he went from being a young surfer designing t-shirts while traveling across America to running one of the most revered brand studios in the world. We discuss how he got into design, co-founding with his wife and business partner, how they get new clients, their design process, some of his favorite projects, why him and his family are moving from Cape Town to Ireland, and where he gets his ideas and draws inspiration from, plus some practical tips for improving the way you present work. I gained a ton of valuable insights from my conversation with Craig. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Craig, mate, thanks very much for uh, coming on the show, mate. Jeez, thanks for having me. It's been something I've been super keen to do. I'm excited. Can't wait yeah. to get stuck in. Awesome, mate. Well, we kick things off the same way. Simple icebreaker. So what's your favorite brand and why? This is a tough one. I think, <laughs> and I've been really thinking about this for a while, actually, like what brand, and I think just over this pandemic, brands that I thought were really amazing are not amazing anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think, and I think the ones that I really respect are just able to do the right thing at scale. I mean, I think it's so easy for a small business um, these days of five to 10 people to just do the right thing, you know, whether it's for the planets or for their people. Um, but it's a completely different story when there's a thousand people working for you um, because it's so difficult to create a culture within that business. And that's really where the brand starts. It's kind of not what people see. It's what's inside the business. So I think, and I'm giving you the bit of the runaround now, I haven't really answered your question, but I, <laughs> I think, um, you know, I always like to measure a brand on a couple of things. And I think the outward expression, often what you can see is a brand that's got a really amazing identity might just fall flat from a cultural point of view and then vice versa. So, you know, brands that are able to really stick to their values through thick and thin. Um, and like I said, even through something like this pandemic, um, and then a business with a really strong company culture. So, you know, when you see staff giving up their lunch break to move a business forward versus say someone someone working for Facebook when they're protesting during their, their lunch break, you know, something's wrong with inside that culture. Yeah. But just growing up and being a surfer, um, I've always gravitated towards those. And I don't like to say lifestyle brands because I think all brands should fit into that category at some point or to some degree, but a brand like Patagonia, and that might sound like an obvious one, but they're continuously leading, you know, whenever there's um, something going on, whether it's cultural, socially, or obviously with the planets, there's someone that kind of um, leads from the front. So I really respect a brand that hasn't wavered at all uh, over a long period of time. 
Yeah, it's a great answer. And um, yeah, an awesome brand. So Love Craig, it. mate, a previous guest of our show, Peter Brennan, referred you to us. How do you know Peter? Pete. Pete is a legend of a man, small man, but big heart. And yeah, look, like I said, we actually met through surfing. Pete used to live a couple of beaches over. And back in the day, there was some serious rivalry between the two beaches. <laughs> um, but like Pete and all of his best mates became some of my best mates and still are today. And so, yeah, the connection was instant and it was completely through surfing. I don't know if anyone knows, but Pete rips. Really? Like he's a really, yeah, he, I don't know if he surfs anymore, but Pete was a really good surfer. Um, and so, yeah, I always just connected with him. And where were those beaches? Were they Cape Town? So this is actually Durban. So okay. I, I grew up on Dairy Beach. He grew up in, in Schlanger. Um, so like along the coastline, it was probably like 30 minutes. We always say we had to get a passport to cross the river. <laughs> because literally there's a river that disconnects the two beaches and yeah, it uh, wasn't always a warm welcome. And it's not Shark Bay there, is it? Shark Bay is Joburg or is Shark Bay Cape Town? Where's... Um, well, look, Cape Town is basically Shark Ocean. Um, <laughs> there's, there's some big sharks, but actually recently, and look, there's people being discussing this at length and this is not a, a podcast around the ocean, but some of the huge, huge great shark, uh, white sharks are moving out of the area because there's been orcas that have been hassling them. That's part of it. Um, and also, obviously, there's um, just through a hell of a lot of fishing, there's not a lot of sharks because actually big sharks eat little sharks. Yeah. There's not a lot available along the coastline. And so a lot of the great whites in Cape Town has actually moved out. Where they've gone, I'm not sure, but we're going to, um, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to see that there's been a lot less activity over the last couple of years here. Yeah, cool. And Matt, staying on surfing, how long were you yes. a pro surfer for? We, I mean, sorry, I'm assuming that you were a pro surfer with, uh, with Pete. Is that right? Look, I have never been a pro surfer. Oh, really? um, no, I, I was lucky enough to have sponsors that paid me to travel and do some trips. Um, and yeah, I've surfed competitively since obviously I was really young. I represented South Africa at the World Games a couple of times. You know, so that was, that's as far as it went, but I've got friends that are just phenomenal pro surfers. And those are the guys that you really want to, if you want to know about something about surfing, those are the guys to chat to, but yeah, just, just so passionate about surfing. Um, wish I was a pro surfer, <laughs> but you know, to be completely honest, because I wasn't good enough to be a pro surfer, I really just fell in love with design. And so in, in a lot of ways, I'm happy that that kind of was the case. And when did you work out that you wanted to be a designer? Sure. I mean, look, there's been a couple moments in my life that I just knew that that, there was, that that was a calling for me and it really was a calling. When I was about seven, so this is going way back, uh, my brother and I were actually staying with my aunt. My mom was having a pretty serious operation back then. She was actually having a, a tumor removed from behind her eye. So my dad was with her 24 seven and we, and yeah, we ended up staying with my aunt, but because it was such like an emotionally heightened time, I can really remember vividly periods of that time. So the aunt that I was staying with, Jennifer, she was just an incredible commercial artist. I think she was painting an ad for Bob T. And I think if you're a South African, you'll know Bob T. It was like a really popular savings account for kids in the eighties. So pretty niche. Uh, back then. Um, but 
I'll happen to just bump into her while she was painting an ad, like in the living room yeah. for Bob T. And it was all done by hand. And it was just, I just was able to see the whole process. And even when the ad came out, so it was incredible. And since then, that really struck a chord with me. And look, my mom was also really into art when I was younger. So since then, I took art through the whole of high school and it was just a natural progression. Yeah, the desire to move into a creative field was there. And when I left school, like I said, I actually traveled for a year just surfing in the US. And uh, the guys I ended up staying with, I was like, are you joking? These guys are literally surfing all day. They are designing at night and they actually were designing t-shirts for a brand called Lost. I don't know if you know of it or, you know, I think it's I've in Australia. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's actually an amazing, an amazing brand. And I couldn't believe that that could be a career. And since then, <laughs> I was absolutely hooked. I was like, this is so for me. Yeah, so that's kind of, that's the earliest memory I have really. And did you have a, a crack at t-shirt design back then as well? Everyone did, yeah. you know, like I did, I actually had a clothing brand, but it just became so production heavy yeah. that I was like, I can't do this. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, and I may, maybe I'll go back there in the future one yeah. day when I have more time on my hands. But like, yeah, I was like, you're telling me I got to go and get this t-shirt printed on a Saturday when the waves are pumping, not yeah. happening. <laughs> so quickly, yeah, pick my battles. And then, so take me through the journey from sort of, I imagine you studied design somewhere in South Africa and, you know, out, d- you came back from the States, did you, and sort of go into yeah. study or? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I came back and my dad says, you're doing a BCom, And I said, no way, it's not <laughs> happening. And then he was like, okay, just do it. Just, just try it. And if you don't like it, then you can change. And I said, perfect. And I did it for a couple of months and I was like, yep, told you, not for me. <laughs> and... So, yeah, then I just went and studied graphic design at Tech. Um, the guy that I studied with was a year ahead of me, um, who is a phenomenal designer. He's in advertising, um, Shay Higgins. Uh, he actually gave me my first opportunity to come and work for a studio um, when he left. So he left and I joined him for an internship and I just never left the internship. Um, and so that was the kind of the first thing. I mean, I I didn't want to leave. I think they kind of wanted me to leave and I was like, I'm not going anywhere. This is my parking. Um, um, this is where I'm going to sit. I love it. And so (laughs) him and a guy by the name of Matt Waltz, who you're not going to find on Instagram, the most analog human you'll ever meet, um, were two people that just really were so generous of their time. And so the learning curve was really sharp. Yeah. with those two guys day in and day out I bugged them and learned a lot very quickly and then obviously that was in an advertising agency so from there I really I really saw the value early on in like being more strategic with my approach to design and so the natural progression was to go and work for a studio that focused and had a big emphasis on that part of uh, the design and I don't want to say design thinking yeah. Because that is just such an overused term. Yeah. But they really were just people that that put a lot of effort into how to position a brand. And mm-hmm. I just fell in love with that side of things. So, you know, but ultimately after a few years, uh, I knew I needed to work for myself. And, you know, that's kind of when we started um, Parsons. And how long ago was that? That was 10 years ago this year. So, you know, we had big aspirations of having a 10-year blowout, but then this (laughs) pandemic hit and we were like, right, 
we're going to just, you know, bunker down and it hasn't happened. So maybe on our 11th year, we'll have a bit of a blowout. Yeah, yeah. I want to really make up for it. Um, <laughs> which leads me on to my next question, which you may have touched on, I don't know. What's either been the biggest highlight or the greatest challenge over the last 12 months? Look, 2020, let's just, everyone's trying to forget it. But I think, you know, that in itself has just undeniably being the greatest test of our sanity and everyone's sanity. I mean, being in isolation, so South Africa, we were isolated for, I think, almost 80 days. Yeah. yeah. Um, complete isolation, no access to alcohol. The army was in here. You could not leave your house unless you had to go get food. So it was, it was tight. And then obviously working from home with two kids. I've got a daughter that's four and a son that's one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was really, really, really tough. But, you know, I got to see my son take his first steps. So yeah. I know there's not a chance I would have seen that being at work because of the hours that I work. So that's been incredible. I've watched them grow over the past four or five months, which has been incredible. But the real challenges have just been around. We've had a lot of project pullbacks. We've had a yeah. lot of cancellations for very obviously understandable reasons. And now there's a huge challenge. We're actually moving to Ireland. And so we're leaving our homeland, which is going to be really tough. We're still having a studio in South Africa, of course, and we're still going to be heavily focused with clients in South Africa. Um, but we're going to extend our studio into Europe. So that's going wow. to be a big, big challenge, which we're excited about. So yeah, it's a really, really crazy time. But, you know, you've got to think about this pandemic has just exposed so much. So, so many, you know, social viruses that are out there. And when we look back, hopefully... Hopefully, there will be so much good that comes from this. So, mm. yeah, I'm grateful for the magnitude of this, this life experience that's, you know, that we're experiencing at the moment. And I've got an incredible wife uh, who's my partner in the business. And, yeah, together we've just been keeping sane and keeping on rolling. And what role in the business does your wife play? She's strategy. Yeah. Um, cool. She's strategy. She's business. She's everything. Without her, I would still be, you know, probably working in a single tiny studio on my own. Yeah. She's got vision. She can tackle any project. She can distill information in a really beautiful way, really complex piece of information in a beautiful way. Like she is the person you should be speaking to, not me. <laughs> we can speak to her next. Yeah. You, um, you need to. And she'll be listening to this podcast and she'll be like, I can't believe you said that. And she's going <laughs> to, pick so many holes in everything I've said. So I'm more nervous for her listening to stuff. <laughs> than, Toughest critic? But completely. Like I'll be designing something and she'll look at it and she'll just be like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? How did you guys meet? So this is a weird story, but the, the, um, so the first agency I ever worked for, her mom was actually a client at the agency. Oh, so this mate. is going <laughs> Surely that's breaking some sort of client rule. <laughs> well, her mom left the agency pretty soon afterwards. So I was okay. like, I don't know if it was me. But um, yeah, she walked into the room and this is going to come across as so cheesy, but she walked into the room. I walked out of the room to my then boss, Natalie, and I just said, I'm going to marry that girl. And wow. I did. And, and Man, so, yeah, it was a bit of a meet cute and it was the yeah. best decision. I, it was the most strategic, best decision I've ever made because, <laughs> yeah, she is incredible. Absolutely incredible. That's cool. What did, um, what did your boss say to you when you said that to her? Get out. <laughs> 
No, she she was like, "What are you talking about, you creep?" <laughs> uh, and so I was, uh, yeah. I mean, look, and she was at our wedding, so um, yeah. I That's her awesome. Wrong. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm sure she got a, a mention <laughs> at some point on the day. <laughs> she did. Uh, she did, and she loves that story too. She tells it to other people. So yeah, we awesome. all got something out of it. <laughs> that's awesome. So mate, you said you're moving to Ireland. When? The 25th of this month. Yeah. Oh, so wow. yeah, it's been really tight. Um, we've moved studios from our old studio into this new studio in Cape Town, South Africa. Yeah. So that's been a big move. And now we're moving, we're opening up another studio, obviously in Ireland. So Kim is Irish. So we're actually repatriating um, yeah. at the end of this month. Um, and then, yeah, we're just going to hope you hit the ground running. Um, most of the interest in our business comes from Europe and the US. So we need to go where, where the interest is, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's going to be the big focus over the next couple of years. And take me through that. Like how, how come the interest is from those international markets rather than, you know, locally in South Africa? I think it's the appetite, Dan. Like I think, you know, from – you know, we've got some incredible clients in South Africa. So when I say this, I'm, I'm not generalizing. But, you know, when you look at a European market and you look at a, a U.S. market, you have got to be so clear in who mm. you are and what you stand for to be able to gain traction off the bat. And so the appetite to work with a brand agency like ourselves to be able to be and invest in strategy up front before the design happens is really big. Because without it, you're just going to be part of the noise. Yeah. And so I feel like that's part of the reason. And the conversation is great because I feel like, you know, they, we're not having to sell our process to anyone. They get it. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. let's move on. We understand you're going to make a difference. Let's figure out how we're going to do it. Yeah. So, um, and I'm guessing, right? But I, I feel like through the clients that we've spoken to, because we always ask that question, because I think it's important to know, that's kind of the thing that always bubbles to the surface. Mm. So I want to firstly know, like, was there one project that helped sort of launch you guys or, or really get your name out there firstly? And then secondly, I'd love to know more about your process that you talk of. Yeah. I mean, I think the first project that really got us onto, into like, you know, the West coast of America <laughs> and doing lots of business there was okay. Drugs. Yeah. Okay. Drugs was, you know, just a phenomenal project from beginning to end. And when I say end, it's still very much going. We're producing new products for them um, or new identity, part of their product extensions all the time. Yeah. But the reason why we love that project so much was because it really came down to the founders. And I think that's so much of what brand is about. It's not about what it looks like or what the color you use or what top bases you use. It really is how it emanates from the inside out. And that authenticity always comes from the founders. And so any project we, we work on, if the founders are not available to work or, you know, we've, we've been connected through um, a marketing person, we will not take the project on unless we can speak to the decision makers because that's where the energy comes from mm-hmm. um, a lot of the times. So, yeah, Zach and Shay, who just the founders of OK Drugs, are incredible people. Um, they are so authentic to their brand. And they're so authentic on where they want to take it. They're really open. They're super witty. They make fun of each other. And so all the time, and and it's really easy for us to reciprocate that too. 
and just be ourselves within that process because of how open they are. And so, yeah, that was the first cannabis project we worked on ever. And like I said, it became a lot less about the product and more about the people doing what they love. You know, and OK Drugs was also our first intro to LA. And since then, we've worked on six brands on the West Coast. So wow. it's just been a really great creative journey. How did those guys come across you? So a couple of them have been word of mouth. Salema Masakela, who is a podcast that as well, um, an, an incredible guy. His father was Hugh Masakela, one of the best musicians that's ever walked this planet. He is someone that was introduced to us by, um, by Shay. And so that's an example of that word of mouth. Um, yeah. And other stuff has just come through online and Instagram. Instagram has been an incredibly powerful tool for all the wow. negativity that social platforms have out there. It's been really good to us. And so, yeah, we've had, we've had some work come our way through Instagram as well. That's cool. And so, Craig, tell me about your process because you said there's a lot of time and, and effort and investment in the strategy before you do the design. Take me through that. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. So I think, look, we, we definitely have a structure that we work within, um, but it's not a static structure. We want to flex within those guardrails. Um, and the structure is really important. It not only gives our clients a framework, it gives, but it gives us a framework as well to work from. And the designers are able to work within that framework as well. And so things become really measurable. Um, so on any new brand project, we start, we start really about onboarding and discovery. We want to be able to um, use the same diction that the founders use. We want to be able to sit in a room and understand a thousand acronyms they throw our way. Um, and we want to go in there with a lot of curiosity and basically not knowing anything. So we will sit in meetings and if we don't know something, no matter how stupid it sounds, whatever the case might be, we're going to ask that question because nine times out of 10, that's what their customer is going to ask. Yeah. Um, then the next thing was we want to be able to explore that customer. We really want to understand who that customer is, what they stand for, how they resonate with the brand, what resonates with them, what's that lifestyle pitch. From that point of view, we then can say, okay, well, what's the actual physical DNA of this brand? So what's the personality traits or the values that are going to be important to this brand? So what emphasis are we going to put on those and how are we going to weight the brand on those? And at the same time, you know, what is this brand going to say no to when the shit hits the fan? So, you know, a lot of the times it's very easy for someone to say, you know, we're going to be really honest and we're going to do the right thing for the planet. But when it comes down to profit, and it comes down to people making a decision um, around profit, which way they're going to go, you yeah. know? Yeah, And 100%. then once that's formulated and we know, okay, this is the brand. This is what makes them different. This is what gets them up in the morning. This is the people they want to be able to attract. Uh, this is the authentic culture of their business. Um, then we're able to build an identity around that. There is no point in building an identity that's unrealistic that they are not going to live up to. So it's very important we understand their culture from the get-go and we understand what's realistic to them because you're not going to produce results. It's not going to um, resonate with anyone within the business and all you're really doing is designing for yourself. You're not designing for them <laughs> or for the product that they're producing. Yeah. And it produces results for us. You know, yeah. um, I, In saying that, I would like to get a lot more measurable around that. Like I would like to be able to you know, make that a lot more of a focus in mm. 2020. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's really where our focus is going to be going to be now moving forward. Is to capture those 
the case studies or the the actual ROI from the work you do? Is that what you mean? Exactly, exactly. Because yeah. I think that's a lot of the questions that that all brands have up front, you know, um, and especially when you're talking to um, CEOs or anyone into the C-suite level, you know, yeah. they want to be, what are, what are we going to get from this? And that's always a tough one because I think at the end of the day, you know, you're able to pitch an idea or you're able to, um, you know, develop the brand, but really it's the culture of that business and authenticity of that business that's going to drive it. Mm. So you just want to be the whole time. You want to be conscious of that. And, you know, when people are going to start beginning, getting results, it also comes down to how they're delivering what you've produced for them. Completely. And so it's making sure at every single touch point that they're doing it correctly. So at the end of the day, we can measure the brand's success yep. more accurately. Yeah, completely. I agree with that so much. I mean, so much of what we do, you know, as creatives, we might be able to create some amazing sort of experiences or touch points. But if that client's delivery or service um, sort of lets them down or, you know, falls off the mark and isn't yeah. aligned to sort of the strategy that we've created, you sort of, you feel let down almost. I mean, not, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's, it's a challenge. You do want that consistency from sort of the first impression to actually the person purchasing and actually interacting with the product or service. Yeah, de- definitely. Like I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, at the end of the day, if it's, um, if it's going to be delivered poorly, in whatever way, whether it's physical or, you know, verbally, you're never going to be able to position it properly or have it seen the correct way. It's almost sometimes you want to say to the client, like, if you can't control how it's delivered and how it's serviced, like, you know, don't worry about brand. Don't worry about us making you look amazing because the client, your customer is just going to get disappointed because we've, we've hyped you up so well. Like we've done our bit too well that, <laughs> that when you get the product, they're going to be like, oh man, this sucks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, we, and so much so what you've said is so correct because, you know, I'll give you an example. We, we worked with a brand called Bulgatex who are a flooring business Yeah, and they create some of the best flooring products in the industry. They're incredible. But before we even started working with them, we did workshops within their, um, their I mean, they've, they've got close to a thousand people that work with them or for them. And so it was really important that we understood the culture of that business and, not only helping to drive what that culture should become, not that you want to change a culture of a business, but you want to be able to make sure that whatever you're producing, it's going to be realistic enough for them to be able to deliver upon that. And so a lot of that discovery process was sitting and understanding what makes the people within that business tick, yeah. like what gets them up in the morning, what, like what, or even what are the pitfalls? Like, mm. So like what are the challenges within that business um, that we're able to help them with or work around or not focus on. So yeah, it's, it's such an important onboarding process for exactly what you're talking about now is probably the most important part of this whole journey um, in delivering that brand. Give me, give me an example of a time where you haven't maybe followed your process and it's backfired. You know, I personally have plenty of times yeah. where we say we've got a process. We've say, you know, we, well, we do have a process and then a client comes along and they say, oh, you know, we don't need to do that bit. Let's just jump into design or let's just jump yeah. into that. And, and it, you know, it always ends up <laughs> sort of going, going around. Like, tell, tell me a time where, where you guys perhaps, or maybe you haven't made that mistake. I don't know, but um, yeah, I'd love to know about that. Yeah. I mean, geez, I mean, what a great question. I think, yeah, Dan, we, right early on, when I first started out, there were a couple of those instances and very early on, we learned that that's not something we're going to do anymore. 
because you're kind of then just taking on the project for money mm. and you're not taking it on because you're taking it on for the right reasons. But to flip the coin, I think what often happens when things might go awry, not necessarily for not doing the process, but when we're trying to squeeze the timeline too much, mm. you know, when things are really rushed, that's something that we also say no to. So we want to also be very realistic about the time it takes on a project. And we also want to be very realistic to a client that, you know, if you're not going to follow this process, we're not going to be able to produce the results that you're after. And it is really an investment that a client needs to um, have the appetite for. And if they don't, I promise you right now, they're not the right person to work with within that business because they don't respect your process. Yeah. Yeah. That's so say no. So true. Yeah. When was the last time you guys said no to a client or to a project? Um, We've had recently, actually, we've had a, we had one come up that the timeline was just too sharp for us. We couldn't deliver within that timeline. We all, you know, look, and the timeline in the scope of a brand um, is tiny. If you think about the lifespan of that brand and how long it's going to be around for, mm. it should live, outlive us, you know? Yeah. So asking people to invest in three to six months, and it just depends on how deep the brand goes, is not a huge ask, right? I mean, you're developing a platform for the brand that's going to enable that brand to live, you know, however long it needs to live. And I think people need to definitely see the value in sitting around and, you know, exploring and being able to really understand where it should be heading. And often, you know, the people that have crunched the timeline, they're the people that have come and said, let's carry on with this process a little bit. Let's go a bit deeper. Yeah. Um, so let's just, we just want to get stuck in. Mm-hmm. and show that process and then they become a part of it. And once they feel that they're a part of the journey and we're not just pushing ideas onto them, then, it's, then everyone is relaxed and the time frame becomes secondary, to be completely honest. Yeah, yeah, it's, I've, I've seen that happen. Like, we've had that happen as well. And I always find getting the client on board and getting the other people within the business on board and, and feel like they're part of that journey uh, just yields such yeah. better results because they feel like they've got ownership over it. And, uh, you know, like agency over the brand that's, that's been created and the identity and things like that. You just feel like they, yeah. they start to embrace and, and sort of have a sense of pride and ownership over it as well. And that's the most important thing. Like if you can get that early on, whatever you produce will be accepted so much easily. Like mm. it's, it's so much easier. It's one of those things where, you know, you got to imagine, you're, say you're a designer working at a business and all of a sudden there's this um, – design studios brand design studio that comes along and starts to tell you how to do things yeah um, and not and not include you in the conversation that's not that's not a good feeling so we really want to be able to include you know and, and it doesn't mean they need to participate in every single meeting but those things that pertain to them let's get them involved yeah yeah that's cool so craig tell me about your team how many people do you have working with you now so we've got a really small team actually but they're all incredibly talented individuals. So there's six or seven of us and we collaborate with stylists as well. Anna, who's incredible, which we have for over 10 years. We've got a photographer that we work with only, um, Tony Pinnell, who's just also just an extremely talented um, individual. Um, but yeah, we're, we like to stay small. So there's also an opportunity to really work on projects that are important to us and that might make a difference um, in some small way. Um, And we're also all really close. We all really love working together. We love being in the same space. And we've only just actually, um, for this is the first time in 80 days, we've all worked together. 
yeah, that's um, cool. was since Monday this week. So it's, yeah, it's been incredible just to be back in the studio and feel that energy. You know, it took us a while to find our feet remotely. Yeah. But yeah, there's something to be said about just being in the same space and having that energy and oh, that fluidity through the day. Completely. It's, um, I mean, we've been back for a few weeks now and, and our team is, is small. There's, there's three of us in our team. But um, just having the, being, being able to sit around and have, you know, those conversations and collaborations. And, you know, it's, I, I sort of say it's like the stuff that happens also between the meetings where you just, you're just talking about things and just, you know, you might have an idea and run it by someone, but you just don't yeah. get that sort of thing working remotely because you you know every time you're you're checking in working remotely it might be you know, on slack for us or, or on a zoom exactly. call but it's all very formal or it's very structured it's like and creativity <laughs> to us is not a structured formal process like yes you have a you have a process but but a good idea can come out of anywhere and 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 can come at any time yeah. so you want to run it by someone yeah and i think and I, like i love what you said now about having those conversations that are not around the project because that is when a lot of the magic happens, you know, like you can kind of just, you're just talking and whether you're grabbing a coffee or something in the studio and you just be able to sit and go through something without the pressure. I think the minute you get like a ting from Slack, you're like, okay, who's that? What do I, what do I need? What is it? What do I need to deliver upon? You know? Yeah. And it's so it almost becomes like Pavlov's dog. Like it's like, Oh God, panic, you know, yeah. um, when it shouldn't be that. So, so yeah, definitely loving being in the same space. And so, yeah, looking forward to hopefully being able to carry on being in the same space without us going back into lockdown. And so how do you attract people or retain people to your business? So, what, you know, what sort of things do you guys focus on um, in terms of culture? Look, I think we've all been young creatives, right? Um, you just want to treat people the way that you wanted to be treated as a young creative. And so there's a lot of emphasis on that. You know, this doesn't always work out for us and we're definitely learning about self-preservation as we go, but we just want to work with good people and good people who just love what they do and that's what we do and that's what we have within our studio. Everyone is really passionate. No one uh, in our studio doesn't push a project 120%. It's just like however many hours we say we're going to work on a project, it's always double. Um, and, and that's, that's us. That's not the client pushing back um, on us. That's us just like making sure we're delivering. Yeah. And this is not a sales. This is the 100% truth because we sell time. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to be so efficient within that. Um, and we just, we just want to work with people who show up and yeah. respect what we've built and are excited to contribute to the future of this journey. Um, because it is a journey, you know, it is something that we want to continue and we love and we're passionate about. Um, so yeah, man, just be kind, respect people, have some empathy and always listen. That's cool. Love that. What to you guys is like a dream project, you know? So, so you get a, a message on Instagram or you get an email, yeah. you know, from the website and it comes through, describe it to me. What's a dream one that, you know, you read your eyes <laughs> light up and you're just like, yes, this is, this is going to be a cracker. Oh. Look, it's 2020, right? So anything with a, a blank slate and a big budget to start with would be amazing. <laughs> but um, yeah, look, I think I think the one one of the that we've recently and we can't talk about it just yet. I mean, um, we had a project come across our desk which we've completed now, and they're busy finding a venue that they can start this project on. That was incredible. I mean, that started and it was a like a six month courting back and forward before we actually started the project. Um, but, 
but look, I think it's kind of like sometimes answering the question about your dream project is also like almost like what's your favorite typeface. You know, yeah. there's endless answers and moods around what you want to be able to do. But I personally would love to work maybe for an institute that's really dedicated to making life better for people, especially like having gone through this process. Because I just think we love collaborating with other epic humans in other fields and especially fields that you might not have ever been exposed to. So uh, yeah, I think, I think, and also something, and this is not the only reason why we're in brand and design and we, I just love to see the work out there. So I could always, and you think about an Institute, there's so many opportunities to have your work showcased somewhere um, at scale as well. So I think that is something would be a, a really great project to work on. Institute being like a, a training academy sort of thing or like a, a university sort of thing or? No, no. Like I think more like a museum, you know? Oh, okay. Or yeah. Got it. Yeah. Like arts and culture or yeah, cool. um, maybe it's a phenomenal theater, something where you would have to understand the history of that, that theater or that museum yeah. and go back in the archives and really see what was important to them when they first started it. I think I love, you know, really sinking your teeth into like a project that has been around for a while and it's, and it takes a lot of research to go back and understand what made them excited in the beginning. Yeah. Cause often those are the type of, they, they've come to you because right, they've maybe they've gone awry yeah. in, in a certain way or they've lost their focus or they've lost their, their passion for what they've done or what they started out doing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's exciting to be able to work on a project where you're able to, um, go out and pick out what's important to them and something they might not have even known about, you know, um, there's a bit of an aha moment that happens and yeah, that's a great feeling. I love that. I mean, in, in part of what we do, we work with a lot of businesses to rebrand or refresh and it, it's a real, it's a real exciting moment to watch a, you know, a founders, uh, sort of eyes light up when they sort of, they almost fall back in love with their business again. They, you know, they, they rediscover sort of why they started in the first place. We've had, we've had ones where, you know, people haven't spent money on marketing for 30 years and then they, they get the new brand and they go out and buy, you know, four new trucks and, and uniforms. And, and they're just like, they're just like, wow, this is amazing. Like they really sort of get motivated and inspired again. And I think, I love I, that I think too. what you said, what you said there before, like, being able to study, you know, understand, appreciate the history, appreciate what, what, what made that business unique in the first place and helping them sort of rediscover it and, you know, paying homage to it and, and, and respecting what was created. Yeah. So it's not just a blank slate. It's actually, it's actually understanding what was there and, and sort of helping sort of redefine or rearticulate. Definitely. Exactly. I mean, the minute you're able to articulate a brand in a way that they never imagined but knew was always there, is a special moment. Like it's, it's, um, yeah, it kind of, and, and that's why I love, you know, working and having a brand design studio is because we're wearing so many different hats. We're learning about so many different categories and industries the whole time. It's so interesting. We cannot wait to wake up, get to work and start doing it because every day is different. So yeah, it's, it's exciting times and we're hoping to continue that. I completely agree. Matt, tell me about when you first saw your work in public, sort of, you know, something you worked on, be, uh, be mm. made, be produced, be out there. Well, you know, it's incredibly intimidating when you, when you first see it because I don't know how many times I've seen something at scale. I'm like, probably should have coined that better. <laughs> Damn it. Like, you know, and you can print something out a thousand times and you can really focus on the smaller details. You know, no one's going to notice. <laughs> But you do, and you don't sleep at night because of it. But oh, God. Um, yeah, I think 
I think uh, yeah, it never gets old, right? It's like it's when you see something in in the wild, as we call it, for the first yeah. time. It's it's just such an incredible feeling. Like whether it be a, a piece of packaging or whether it be some type of environmental uh, work that you've done, it's it is an incredible moment. Um, and so there's yeah, I, I, there's nothing really that stands out as that like that moment, but we definitely feel like each project is special in that way. When you see it, like, like we are like little kids when a new catalog that we've worked on or a new piece of packaging arrives in the studio. Um, mm. Like we've got videos of us opening that stuff. It's incredible. Um, Let's go. It's like, yeah, it doesn't get old. <laughs> and Matt, tell me about starting Parsons Branding 10 years ago. Um, over mm. the years, tell me about some mistakes that you guys may have made that you know could serve as warning warning signs for for us other creatives who are maybe a bit newer, a bit fresher to to the industry. Yeah, or, you know, I'm in I'm in my fifth year now. Yeah. what did, what did you do years six to ten that really made the difference that I can learn from? Oh my goodness, there's so many mistakes. It's incredible. <laughs> Look, I think one of the biggest mistakes we made really really early on was being and I suppose you learn this over time, was right, right in the beginning, it felt like you were cheating your process when you relinquished some of that design power to your clients. Mm. So, you know, for example, they would say, I really want this to say this rather, or I really want that to, the emphasis to rather be on this. Um, And you kind of push back. We don't do that anymore. And we haven't done that for the past 10 years. And I think the reason being is because they know their industry better than you do. They know where the focus should be. So stop being so precious, get the job done, figure out what's going to go. And and that is not meaning that we're yes men or Mm -hmm. yes um, women. That is meaning that we really listen and we really figure out a way to kind of bridge the gap between great design, but getting that message across that they want. Um, and, And that is really important. So that's one of the biggest mistakes early on. And I, I really want every, any creative out there that's, that might be listening to this is to just be more humble. No matter how big you get, no matter how big you feel you get, you're always smaller than someone else. And you definitely need to start to listen to clients a lot, lot more. Um, and that in itself is what brand's about. I mean, you, if you're able to bring to life what the, what the clients envisioned in a way that you've done wearing a, your, your brand cap with the design sensibilities that we all have, that's when the magic happens. Matt, that's awesome. I love that. How do you go about that? Because, you know, as a younger creative, I'm sure it was probably hard. You probably felt like you knew best and, and the client was asking for these changes, you know, the, yeah. the cliche sort of make the logo bigger or, you know, why is, it, <laughs> why is it that color? It should be this color, that sort of thing. But tell me about yeah. your, your guys' approach now in terms of how you listen, but maybe help sort of, um, you know, guide the client mm. p- potentially or, or sort of steer them towards what you know, you know, with, with you know, all your years experience yeah. to be the right solution. Well, look, I think definitely that onboarding part right in the beginning, that becomes really important because you're gaining trust, right? You're working with your client to let them know that you've put the effort in to understand their business. So the decisions you make after that with them are not flippant. There's no gut reaction. You know, everyone has an association with color because everyone understands color. But with you doing the hard yards up front, you're able to make decisions around color because, hey, you can't go with yellow because your biggest competitor uses yellow. Or, hey, you need to go with yellow 
because you're just a super optimistic brand and your competitors don't use that color. And it's the first uh, color they are see. So strategically, we think that's a great opportunity to stand out. Mm. You know, then all of a sudden you're able to measure your decisions as you go along. Um, so gaining that trust early on becomes very, very important. You want to be able to make the client feel like they're participating. And that's not to pretend that's what you're doing. It's not part of a magic show. It's authentic. You really want them to love the process and be a yeah. part of it. And yeah, I think that's, that's really important to us. And we've learned that's what differentiates us. It's, you know, anyone can come along and do the same process as we do, essentially, if they really worked for us for a few years. But at the end of the day, it comes down to empathy and understanding innately and a lot of instinct about what should be important and where the brand should head. Yeah, that's great. And Craig, so we talked about a few things of what you guys did wrong. What do you think some things that you guys got right? Um, definitely, I think sticking to our process. Because I think a lot of the time, and especially over times and periods like this, there's a tendency to dilute your own way of doing things to be able to you know, get through the month. But I think the biggest, the biggest thing you have or the biggest asset you're always going to have is really focusing on what works for you. Yeah. So those are the things that we've continued to do right. We've continued to say no to projects where people have come along and said, we don't need all that strategy up front. <laughs> we, we, we know what we're doing. We know what we're heading. We've done it. And then we say, well, let us look at that then. Let us look at what you've got. And like, it's either all up here and they're pointing to their head um, or it's done very thinly or it sounds like someone else. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, the biggest thing that we've done right, and this is a lot of credit needs to go to Kim, is really always sticking to our guns and really being confident about who we are as a business. I love the client saying something like, I just need a logo. I just need a, (laughs) they've already solved everything in their minds. And it's, you know, I just need you guys to um, (laughs) bang out this website for me. It's, you know, it's like. And, and anyone that's listening out there, like we, are, we literally have on our website, we've got like, like, like I actually want, like we don't design logos because we, we design identities and mm. I can't say like, and it doesn't happen anymore. Um, it used to happen a lot on the early days, but like people looking, you know, just for a logo. Yeah. But I think, you know, but I, you can't always, you can't be upset about someone asking for that because I think that, that is an example of, what that brand that they might resonate with has come across as is just mm-hmm. an identity. Yeah. So there's no emphasis beneath the hood. There's no, there's no emotional soul behind that brand. So that potentially could be all that they're thinking that, that that's what a brand is. It's the logo. So that's part of your job is to educate them on, you know, what it really means to be a brand these days. I love that. And I love that approach of, um, of not, you know, sort of scoffing at the, of their lack of education, but taking the opportunity to sort of upskill and, and maybe educate yeah. them on why it is important. Yeah, definitely. One of our best clients has come from that process, someone that just wanted a logo and we were able to take him through the, the whole journey from the beginning to end. And he is someone that is the biggest advocate for that process now. So that, that's been incredible. That's awesome. What's another great project that you guys have worked on that you'd like to chat about? One of the best ones we've just done now is a podcast for Salima Masakela. Um, he is just the most, he is one of the best humans I know, the most authentic person I know. Um, if for anyone that doesn't know him, go and have a look 
at him and look at his narrative as a human. He is just, everything you see is real. There is nothing that is fake or false. Um, he just says it how it is, but he doesn't say it to be controversial. There's a lot of empathy and thought that goes behind his words because he is someone that has weight behind those words. So, you know, from, and Kim was heavily involved in this project with Salema, so I can't take all the credit for this particular one. But he, anything you did and designed, he really measured it through the process that we had done previously and the stage done previously. And so you just saw it was someone that just took on every single stage um, with, with just such energy. So that's been one to date, one of the best projects we've ever worked on. Um, yeah, it's been incredible. That's cool. We'll make sure we link to that in the uh, show notes. Yeah, I think his first podcast actually went live. Um, so he's based, he's based in the States. So it went live last night. So take oh, a look. Awesome. It's incredible. Yeah, cool. We'll, we'll make a link. Mate, how do you switch off from work? Family. Love to find my happy in my family. Yeah, I just, it's one of those things where often, um, especially early on when you start out, you're putting so much emphasis on a business that you really are taking focus off the things that are important and that doesn't happen anymore. And yeah, surfing. I just love to surf. Um, it's, it is, it's one of the, it's any, anyone that surfs understands and not just surfing, like anything that you're, you're doing in the elements, whether it's snowboarding or skating or taking a hike, it's just that opportunity to switch off from everything because you're in the moment. Um, that's the type of thing that I really want to be able to do to switch off. Um, and I do it, not often enough from a surfing point of view, um, but I'm trying to get better at it for sure. Yeah, cool. And tell me about like the way you structure your time or your week. I imagine early on when you were first starting, it would have been pretty hectic hours and, you know, t- take me yeah. through sort of, I guess the, uh, you know, maybe placing more, I guess being stricter with your time. Has that changed? I mean, I imagine it probably yes. had to having a, a four-year-old and a one-year-old, but um, yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> Well, yeah, in the beginning, it's really about like kind of, you know, mastering what you're doing. Okay. So you've got to put so much time into that, uh, into that craft. So whether it be strategy or design or typography or um, just your approach, you know, often projects fall flat um, as a designer because you've approached it incorrectly. So there needs to be a lot of time and emphasis spent on that. And that takes hours, right? So um, you can't avoid that. Um, but definitely, yeah, the balance is a lot better now. We've got people that work for us that, um, shoulder a lot of the responsibility and take the projects on and take the ownership of the projects, um, as well, which has taken a lot of the the pressure off. Um, we give each person that works within our studio, a lot of responsibility around those projects. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't work hard. There's long hours and at least once or twice a month, there's a couple all nighters um, <laughs> that I do. Yeah. Um, and especially when the project's getting to that like end presentation date and you might have a few projects happening at the same time. Yeah. Um, you, you spread pretty thin, but in saying that the, the passion for that project keeps you up and keeps you going. So are you someone who not procrastinates, but likes a deadline to work towards, you know, like having, having yeah. sort of that urgency that, you know, that rush towards the uh, yeah. finish line. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. um, I mean, I, I remember when I first started out, like during the day, I felt like I was just pushing around pixels and then I would start to work at night 
and just yeah, worked through cool. the night and then had so much energy. And the next day I had like this whole bunch of stuff to present and people were like, what is going on here? Um, but, but um, over time and through structure, you're able to get those ideas out earlier on and not having to kind of really rely on urgency and panic to yeah. be able to produce those ideas because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to rush anything. And so you really want to trust the process and you really want to be able to um, uh, go through the steps and deliver upon each one of those steps to avoid rushing it at the end, because there is nothing worse than delivering something that you feel like you could have pushed that extra 10%. Yeah. So, you know, before we actually even present a lot of the times we want to almost sit on a project for 24 hours before we present and then look at it again to make sure that it's all still really ringing true. And yeah, it's something that we continuously want to be able to get good at and manage that time. And it's, and it's tough. Eh? I think like, you know, sometimes a project doesn't come uh, or an idea doesn't come easy off the bat. Sometimes it might happen in the first five minutes. I wish that happened more, but <laughs> the truth of the matter is it doesn't, but yeah. you need to work through it. You need to work hard through it. Yeah. Where's the common place where your ideas might come to you? Are you someone who like will be in the shower and be like, oh, that's a, you know, I could do that with that brand yeah. or something like that. Is there a place that you go to? That, uh, <laughs> you know, that, it's that so funny, like uh, you, the way that you just mentioned shower. So like we've got a big glass shower. And so I'm always doodling on the shower <laughs> while I shower. And Kim will come in and she'll take a photo of what I do on the shower. And she'll be like, what? the F is this? Like, what is this? These like look like boobies on the shower or like what is going on? Like there's like, yeah, it's continuous, you know? So that is somewhere where I do, but Cape Town a couple of years ago, I had a, a water shortage. We went through a heavy drought. So the shower times were 20 seconds. Yeah, so wow. I kind of lost, I lost the opportunity to have my scamping pad um, on there. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think definitely just, you know, having those moments where, you're not kind of, you're not designing. So whether it be surfing or whether it be going for a walk or whatever the case might be, yeah. definitely kind of where I always feel like good ideas come. The notes on my phone are pretty historical. Yeah. And, the, and like drawing the diagrams um, with your finger on notes is also yeah, yeah. more historical. But yeah, I've got like a treasure trove of ideas and those notes that always kind of go back on. Yeah, that's cool. It's like a uh, uh, you know, assortment of business ideas, brand ideas, <laughs> shopping lists. It's everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, products that I kind of want to want to do or brands I want to work on. Definitely. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. You mentioned at the start t-shirt brands or clothing yes. brands. Do you have any of your own products, or or do you plan to have any of your own products? Yeah, I mean, look, my children are two of my greatest products. Um, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> They've also, within that, obviously, you don't have a lot of time to be able to work on, on external products. Um, and I, I think if I ever did it, um, come up with any product, it would be stuff that I'm really passionate about. So, mm. you know, I've always wanted to have, you know, and I think there's so many coffee brands out there, so this is not something I would do, but it's just something I love. And it's not even the taste of the coffee or whatever, it's the feeling you get when you have a good cup of coffee yeah. or like the connection you make with someone over a meeting while having a coffee. So I'm addicted to that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I had an apparel line in my twenties, but then it, you know, it just became too much production and that became something that was really time consuming. And I, and I wanted to focus on what was important and design was really important yeah. back then. And to be able to hone in that, that craft, but maybe that's something I'll come back to one day. Um, 
So we'll, we'll wait and see. But yeah, there's no products at the moment beyond what we do. And we always tell our clients to keep focused, you know, mm-hmm. and, and figure out what's important to them. Yeah. So we're kind of like, yeah, we're kind of putting out there what we say yeah. in a lot of ways. But let's see. Let's see. Maybe in the future there'll be something. No, I completely agree. And Matt, do you read any books or listen to podcasts or audiobooks? Yeah. What are some things that sort of inspire you? Yeah. Look, I, there's so many books. There's so many books. I don't really have like a particular book that inspires me. And at the moment, I'm actually reading a book by an amazing guy, Bruno Minari. Yeah, Minari, Design as Art, which I think a lot of designers probably have already read. But yeah, I'm probably late to the game. But it's, it is, I'm kind of halfway through and it's an incredible book. I recommend anyone out there that's starting out to go and read it. And just to see how I'm curious he is as a person and how every single object that he touches is yeah, a wonder to him. And so I'm definitely taking some of those lessons into what I'm doing every single day. I also really enjoy podcasts that are around business as well, because, you know, we're so continuously um, bombarded with design and with brand mm-hmm. that you kind of want to be able to be in a point where you want to be able to switch off. So, um, you know, how I built this with Gar Raz is a great one. I think I just love the way that he frames things um, and he like kind of cuts to the quick around what makes a business successful. So I find that really interesting. Um, Private Views uh, is a new one out that I listen to, which I think is, is great. They kind of go behind the scenes a lot. And I think that's, that's always something that's way more interesting to designers. Um, that like, how, what's the process, you know, as opposed to what the output is. But to be completely honest, and this is going to come across as so random, which is not the question that you asked, which is my, <laughs> my favorite book. But like some of the biggest inspiration I get is from completely different fields of creativity. So you listen, you, you watch something on Netflix, like abstract is great, right? And you yeah. look at all those creative fields on there and they're incredible. But even something like, um, uh, like a cooking chef's table, mm. um, you know, you look at the focus that those chefs put on their craft and the hours that they put in and the way that they articulate what makes their um, dish different to anyone else, there's a lot you can take from that um, and kind of have as a metaphor for brand in a lot of yeah. ways. So, yeah, I found that, that really interesting. So, is that, yeah, is that I think I'll answer guys... your questions pretty vaguely. No, no, that's good. <laughs> is that something that you guys try to do or do do is, is sort of document or show your process? We don't do it enough. Um, we should do it a lot more and we need to figure out a way to do that a lot more. And maybe, and because, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do as well, it's difficult to show, like if you tell the process, it kind of sounds, sounds like this is our five-step process yeah, and it yeah. sounds a little bit bizarre. Um, and also it's, it's hard to articulate the depth of a process because a lot of what we do is, a, is another brand's RP. So how do you show the depth you go and how do you show those insights that you've gathered through that process without exposing um, someone's strategy? Yeah. So yeah, we have clients that are really amazing and have given us permission to take um, a potential client through, you know, one of the projects that we've worked on. And we also beg on um, asking potential clients to phone one of our existing clients that we've worked with. Um, whether it be past or present and speak to them. So like if there's someone that's in America and they want to, and maybe something that bothers them is that we're so remote, 
which is something we don't really want to be anymore. And that's one of the reasons why we're moving to Europe. Yeah. But phone them, like let them articulate the process with us or the journey with us, as opposed to us doing it. Mm. Because a lot of times that's actually what brand is, right? It's not yeah. what, it's not what we say. It's what someone else says about us. Completely. Um, and those people are going to really resonate with that a lot more. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I mean, it's something that we have, yeah, we've yeah. put, we've put on things, you know, in the past, you put it on proposals, you put referees or referrals, but, um, but yeah. actively pushing, pushing prospective clients to, uh, to actually pick up the phone and call, you know, current clients and, um, and have it, you know, yeah. unscripted and let them, yeah, let them just speak for, speak on your behalf. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. You got to be confident with your product. And if you're trying mm. to hide, um, behind you know maybe you had a bad experience with a with a client which we don't really have but i think like it would look like that if you like don't want to give that information so yeah. of course we got to get our clients permission first to some of the some people that we work with are extremely busy and those that conversation might be 45 minutes long but everyone is really open to do that that we've worked with in the past to say yeah it's like let them phone us please like we can't wait you know yeah. so i think that's something that we're we're we do Every single time we encourage prospective clients to phone our existing clients. That's great. Well, Craig, mate, thanks so much for, uh, for being generous with your time. I've really enjoyed it. We've got a few closing questions. Who's someone in the creative industries uh, that you think is remarkable that we should speak to? You know, someone I've spoken to recently who, and I've got to know, it's just an incredible guy, is, um, Ben Crick. He actually is a creative director um, at Collins. And he is just, he's actually an Australian as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so, but now obviously he lives in the US, um, but he is just the most humble guy. He is so incredibly versed at what he, um, at what he does and the way he articulates himself and articulates brand um, is really uh, inspiring. Um, He has his finger on the pulse. I think he is, he would be a great person to, to speak to. He's incredible. That would be awesome. We, um, yeah, we follow their work and yeah, they do amazing stuff. So that would be, that'd be they really do. cool. Um, and mate, what's your favorite quote or the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? So honestly, like it's more than a word, but it's more, I suppose it's more of a work ethic. Um, I actually worked for a Portuguese friend of mine years ago, just the most pedantic human you've ever met in your life. <laughs> like so frustratingly pedantic. But, but I actually really resonated with that um, early on. And I understood that you're kind of going to be measured on every detail and often you're measured on the worst detail. So yeah. I became pretty obsessive in my application of that especially when it came to, um, to design. Mm. Um, so it's not necessarily like a, a phrase that I've been given, but it's more of a way of working. Um, and I, yeah, just that obsessive approach and making sure that you, you, you kind of like don't let anything leave the studio without really, really, really being proud of it. That's something um, yeah. that I think is important. Ironically though, um, you know, being obsessive, I still have not learned to close my cupboards, um, which <laughs> Which drives my wife yeah. crazy. Like she takes <laughs> photos of my cupboards and just sends them to me. Like, can you actually, are you actually kidding? Like, uh, are you funny. doing this on purpose? Yeah. Um, which I'm not. I'm just like, I'm just running out the house. But, but also she's got a habit of leaving the key in the car. 
which is bizarre <laughs> in South Africa. So, yeah, it's probably, we're probably not the best idea. Um, no. <laughs> mate, that's that's great. I love I love that sentiment of um, you know being being obsessive about about what goes out of the studio. Um, I also love yeah. what you said before, and I, I didn't mention it, but sitting on presentations for twenty four hours before you have to present them. I mean, I think that's yeah. I think that's such a good lesson. It's something that again, you know, there's been a few things here that I'm, yeah, I'm gonna politely borrow from this because I, I love it. But yeah. uh, you Definitely. know, not, not having that deadline and then rushing into a meeting and, and sort of bringing it up on screen, seeing it for you know maybe yeah. the second time, but having it sit you know in in the studio for 24 hours before actually taking the client through it. You know, at least yeah. is, is probably a great a great lesson and something that um because that yeah. flow that flow of presentation becomes so important. So mm-hmm. you need to you need to actually go through the presentation yourself and imagine the client seeing this for the first time. Yeah, are you linking them from section to section correctly? Um, because your presentation will fall completely flat if it becomes too complicated or you're focusing on different areas too much. You really got to understand your clients. And so we spend time, you know, rehearsing that presentation mm. and making sure that it's perfect. There was those great scenes. I don't know if you ever watched Mad Men, but um, of Don Draper sort of selling these big ideas to, you know, to <laughs> clients. And it's just like, I look back at, I, I, you know, watching that early on in my career, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I want to yeah. do that. <laughs> no, there's, I have watched that. He's got a lot of drop mark moments all yeah. the time. And yeah. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, look, and that's, and that's just, that's, I mean, I don't obviously know um, him personally because he's just a character. But I know people that are just like that all the time who can just, you know, just speak off the cuff. And, um, yeah, like Kim is one of those people where I'm like, how the F did you <laughs> actually come up with that? And, and like, I'm always blown away by that. I'm, and, yeah, for me personally, I always gravitate towards people like that as well who, who just know their stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's cool. And, Matt, if you could have a billboard and put anything on it, what would it be yeah. or say? That is a tough one, but <laughs> look, I, I'd have to steal that this one from one of our one of our friends, um, Wolfpack Lager. They've got a, a phrase that they say that they put on everything, whether it be their cans or their t-shirts. Really. It's just like, don't be a dick. <laughs> um, just, just seriously, just be nice. Just be generous. Be nice. Just don't be a dick. There's too many of them out there. There's too many yeah. people with egos. There's too many people out there that just kind of, um, you know, more about their own personal well-being than everyone else. You know, just be kind. Yeah. Um, and so you can't really say it better than that, right? That's uh, perfect. Yeah, that's great. And finally, <laughs> Craig, where can people learn more about you? I need to get better at this. Um, and I think, you know, as people, you know, as the world kind of opens up more to us, um, um, we, we really need to reciprocate and open up to them as well. So email me, you know, but do not ask me what the top base is on the last project that we work on. <laughs> ask me something that is, there's a bit of depth behind and I'll yeah. be happy to answer you. I think, yeah, Craig at ParsonsBranding.com. It's an easy one and just don't spam me. Um, but I'll, I want to help people and I want to be generous with my time as well. But ask something that's, gonna, that's, that's profound. You know, Think about what you want to be able to ask and you know, I'll be happy to, happy to sit and, and have a conversation. Man, that's awesome. Well, thanks again for taking the time. I've had, yeah, I've had a great time and um, learned a hell of a lot from it. So thank you. <laughs> 
I hope so. And I hope there wasn't too much rambling or too much vagueness around your question. I try to keep focused, but um, of course, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Daniel. No, that's um, awesome. And, and you got an amazing podcast yourself. So incredible. And I'm definitely going to be listening more and more. So well done. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening to this episode of DSR Branding Presents. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit dsrb.com.au slash podcast. Hit subscribe on your podcast app and stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you're listening on an Apple podcast, can I ask you a quick favor, please? I'd love a five-star review. It not only makes me feel special, but it helps other people like you find this podcast. We always appreciate good feedback. So if you enjoyed it, please share it with your network and tag me on LinkedIn or Instagram or send me an email. DSR Branding exists to inspire people to love what their work represents. I hope this episode has inspired you to think differently.